Hello. Hi. Welcome to Drinking the Kool-Aid. Welcome. I'm Megan. I'm Hannah. And today we are doing part two. Yay. And Hannah's so pumped (laughs) to hear more about nasty ass Pee-wee Gaskins. It's like I'm so torn on it because like I like hearing the like the story and you know what I mean? Like I, I want to hear the story, but it's also like this one is so rough. I know. I feel the same way. But I can't wait till it's over. <laughs> there's parts of it that are actually interesting and give you maybe a little bit of insight into things right. and like what he was thinking. But it's gross. It, it sucks. It is. So let's talk about it more. All right. What, what? (laughs) Um, In case you're one of those weirdos that for some reason didn't listen to part one, you should go back and do that. But also, I've got a little watered down recap for you. Pee Wee Gaskins joined the Trouble Trio when he was young and they burglarized houses. He escaped from reform school, joined a traveling carnival, and married a girl named Mary. He hit a girl in the head with an axe, went to prison, killed a guy while he was naked on the toilet, and escaped from prison. He married Junis Alice Holden, and that lasted two weeks. Then he met a lady named Betty Gates and accidentally helped her husband escape jail, and Pee Wee ended up back in jail. When he was finally released, he married Jerry Dolores, but he got in trouble again, and he was brought to the courthouse, but he escaped out a window. He married Lenny, but he left her to go back to his other wife, Jerry. But he changed his mind again and went back to Lenny. She wasn't into that shit, so she turned his ass in. Pee-wee served part of the sentence but got out early for good behavior. He started ramping things up, killing lots of people, and the police were beginning to watch him pretty close in 1971. (laughs) At the end of part one, Pee-wee started working at a used car place so that it would look normal for him to be carrying stolen car parts to his vehicle. Now we're all caught up. Yay! Holy crap. That was as about as, like, sugar-coated as you could have possibly made it. I was like, I'm just going to write something that has no, like, gore or anything nasty in it, and that's all I could no, come up that with. that was pretty good. Okay, so my first draft on that, I was going to start off with, Pee-wee got a boner when he was little because oh, of a cobra. Oh my. <laughs> I'm really happy you didn't start it off like that, to be honest. <laughs> Um, so this was my revised version. Yeah. That made me a little uncomfortable over here. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. So we are starting off talking about 20-year-old Martha Dix. Uh, She liked to hang around the shop that Pee Wee worked at, and she typically stopped by a few times a week. The two got along just fine, but Martha began joking about sleeping with Pee-wee and telling the other guys in the garage that they were fooling around. (laughs) Uh, He eventually had enough of the jokes and asked her to just stick around the garage one night when it was closed. He claims that he told her to stop making fun of him and she was rude and then flipped him off. Martha disappeared for a few weeks, but... She eventually came back to the garage and announced that she was pregnant with Pee-wee's child. Oh, God. And she was going to name the baby Pee-wee Dix. <laughs> um, which, like... And I'm trying to be we mature. We are far too immature for this kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying, yeah. I swear. Um, 
I can't imagine what that child would turn out to be <gasps> if that was real. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. <Ugh. laughs> I don't know why I still have, like, a, like, 13-year-old's brain, but... I don't think it goes away. <laughs> it hasn't so far. <laughs> Check out our other podcasts. <laughs> then you'll know. All right. Uh, so he told her, hey, why don't you stick around the garage again? Because we need to talk about this. So he tells Martha that if she is going to say that they slept together, they might as well just do that. He brought her to a house and handed her pill bottles. Now, these are pill bottles that he had gotten from, like, his coastal kills. So people that he was murdering, he was just holding on to their pills. Okay. Okay. Martha took some of the pills. We don't know what they are. Then she washed them down with beer. She just went ahead and took them. According to him... We don't know, but this is what he says, and she was like, all about it. Yeah, let me just take a handful of these. That doesn't sound right. It sounds really silly, but also it might be like, oh, if I'm going to have to sleep with this guy, (laughs) let me me take all these (laughs) and see if I can get through it. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's really dumb, but he claims. It's weird. Okay. Once Martha was pretty fucked up. Pee-wee beat her and forced the rest of the pills down her throat. Oh. He loaded her in the car and drove her to a farm and dumped her body in the ditch. Jeez. Yeah, he's done. In 1971, Pee-wee picked up 16-year-old Ann Colberson near Myrtle Beach. He says she was really, really nice to him the entire time. He didn't necessarily feel that he needed to kill somebody this time, but he wanted to. Oh, good. Yeah. He didn't necessarily feel like it, but mm, sure, why not? Might as well, you know, since I see her here. He turned off the highway and told Anne that he was going to take her to a great barbecue place. They went to a house and he kept her alive for four days of torture. Oh, come on. And then he's like, oh, since she was actually so nice to me, he eventually decided to just knock her out so that she didn't have to scream as much. Oh. Yeah. Aww. Isn't he, like, fucking amazing? I hate that. Good job. He dug a grave when he was done and buried her near the same area that Janice was buried previously. Pee-wee knew that he couldn't stay in the area much longer. He ended up moving to Charleston with his wife and child, and he sold guns to Eddie and Bertie Brown. He was telling people that he was looking for military weapons for collectors, but he was just selling them to Eddie and Bertie. Pee-wee also found out that fully automatics were worth more money than semi-automatics, So he learned how to convert them himself. Naturally. Right. The Browns told Pee-wee that federal agents had been in Charleston looking for illicit arms dealers. He started to think maybe this was a setup. So he murdered the couple. Oh! Right. He tossed Bertie in a grave and he had a tougher time with Eddie. Are you ready? No. Okay, it's not good. When he drug him to the grave, he saw his intestines trailing behind him. Oh, no. Yeah. 
If that's not no, no, a horror no. movie, I don't know what is. No, 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 no. And then he buried the couple in the same grave. He was just on a freaking rampage. Yes. In 1973, Pee Wee moved to Prospect, South Carolina because somebody burned down his house. And he murdered three more people, starting with a 14-year-old runaway, Jackie Freeman. Jackie left home because she says her stepfather was abusing her. Oh, no. I know. So she gets away from the abuse and ends up in that situation. Yeah. Pee-wee took the girl to an abandoned house, which I don't know how he's finding all these abandoned houses, seriously. But he does. He bound and tortured her for a few days. He also claims that he sliced a few parts from her, cooked them, and ate them. I wondered if that was coming eventually. Yeah. Typically, he didn't remember the name of his coastal kill victims, but he felt that Jackie was special. Gross. Because she was now part of him. No! Yeah. No! So... That is disgusting. Mm-hmm. When he was done with his torture, he dug a grave and buried Jackie. Then he bought an old hearse and told people at his favorite bar that he needed it to haul all the people he killed to his private cemetery. And everyone in town is like, oh, ha ha ha, that's just good old Pee-wee. I mean, okay, you know, if they actually, like, the hearse is what would really push me over the edge with that, but I most have definitely have joked, like... Oh, for sure. Yeah. It just I've, sucks when it's, like, real, and I he's know. openly talking about and it. And it's so bad because, like, you never really truly know. Right. And I've definitely made those jokes before. Yeah, and the townspeople figured he's just, like, mentally disturbed, so they shrugged it off. Typically when I'm trying to make, like, when I make those jokes, I was trying to get rid of some dude at a bar, so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in my defense. True. <laughs> Then Pee-wee put up a sign in the window of his new vehicle that said, We haul anything, living or dead. No way. Yes. 23-year-old Doreen Dempsey was a mother of a two-year-old baby girl, Robin. And she said she was pregnant with her second child. Just to let you know, this sucks major. She needed a place to stay and she was down on her luck. She asked if she could live with Pee-wee until the baby was born, but he said he just didn't have the room for her. He ended up taking Doreen outside and told her she could stay in a trailer that he had and it would be rent-free, but he expected sexual favors in return. This poor lady. I know. And she's pregnant? She's pregnant. Oh my god, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. He went into his house and told his wife that he gave Doreen $20 and he was driving her to the bus station. He took her to a wooded area and raped and killed her. I literally don't want to say the next sentence to you because it's horrifying. How could it be? Never mind, I don't even want to question it. He raped and sodomized her daughter, then killed yeah. the child and buried the two Mm-mm. of them together. Mm-mm. Let's just move on real quick. Yep, we're going. In 1974, Pee Wee drove up behind two people and he thought 
they were girls. It turns out it was two 14-year-old boys with very long hair. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> you know exactly why I'm laughing. Yeah. I just, uh, this, 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 like, I, I mean, I don't know where this is going, but this type of thing happens to me and uh, my boyfriend all the time, Isaac, because he has really long hair. And so people will hit on us from behind. And then he'll turn around and use this, like, super, super deep voice and be like, thank you. <laughs> and it is the funniest damn thing ever watching people's reactions when they realize he is not a chick. But, like, he really does look like a chick from behind. Oh, yeah. He's got <laughs> nice long hair. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, anyways. <laughs> he brought them to a hideout near Charleston and he sodomized and tortured them. Then he cooked their genitals, and ate them before killing them. Yeah. He brought them to the marsh and then sunk their bodies. In 1974, 36-year-old Johnny Sellers owed Pee-wee $1,000 for auto parts. He was actually the guy that had dropped Doreen and her daughter Robin at his house, and they ended up being murder victims of his. It was taking a long time for him to pay the money, and Pee-wee was getting pretty sick of his excuses. He chased him around the woods and shot him with a rifle. But then he realized he had another problem. Now he's not getting (laughs) $1,000? Well, Pee-wee didn't want Johnny's girlfriend to alert the police. Oh, no. So... He went to pick up Jesse Ruth and told her that Johnny was waiting for them to go pick him up. He drove Jesse to the same spot where he killed Johnny, plunged a knife in her back, and buried Johnny and Jesse in the same grave. Jesse had been married to James Rudy, and he actually got charged for the murders because police assumed there was a jealousy motive. Oh. Yeah. And they also got somebody else named, uh, I think it was Belton Edie, for accessory to murder. And obviously, neither of them had anything to do with it. Right. Horace Jones was another car thief, and he decided to pursue Pee-wee's wife when he was out of town for a few days. He says, quote, and this is fucking classic like, Pee-wee here. I was going to say, I don't like the way you said it. So he says, quote, That pissed me off. Not so much him trying to fuck my wife, but the way he went about doing it. I mean, if he had come straight to me like a man and asked to make a deal with me for my wife, (gasps) I would probably have give her to him for a night or a week or to keep if the offer were good enough. Oh, yeah. And I just want to say, too, like, I kept all the quotes the exact way that he says them. And, you know, they're not grammatically correct. So there you go. That's how he said it. I just can't believe. Oh, I'm but just yeah, apparently give her away for you for a couple days. You or might maybe get to keep. keep her. It depends on what kind of deal you approach me with because I don't really need her. You know, that is just. <sighs> yeah. And the fact that he said, oh, if you would have been a real man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a real man just goes up to some other, you know, man and is like, oh, is it cool if I uh, take your wife for the weekend? Yeah, uh, I'll trade you this goat. Is that, I don't know what he wants. <laughs> I'll one up you, your goat for a cow. 
Ow. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't be trading people. No. I don't like it. Please don't do that. Okay. (laughs) Well, Pee-wee had already dug the grave, so he led Horace right to it, forced him to climb in, and he shot him. In 1975, when Pee-wee was 42 years old, he was killing about one person a month on average. I was going to say, how is he only freaking 42 with how many people he's already killed? My God. He started early, man. (sighs) And he found a van that was broken down on the highway and he murdered three people. He fixed the van in just a few minutes, but told the three people that it needed a new water pump and he was going to take them to go get it. He lured the three people into the woods, tortured them, and made them do things to each other while he watched. Holy shit. Then he sunk all three bodies in the swamp. He actually needed help getting rid of the van, so he went to an ex-con named Walter Neely for help. Walter drove the van to Pee-wee's garage and he painted it so that they could sell it. I hate that there's people so easily accessible Yeah, that'll just, no questions asked, get rid of shit. Sure. That same year, Pee-wee was paid $1,500 to kill Silas Yates, a wealthy farmer from Florence County. Suzanne Kipper was a pissed-off ex-girlfriend, and she hired him to get the job done. Silas was lured out of his home by Diane Neely, who claimed she was having some car troubles. He came out to help her, and Pee-wee kidnapped and murdered him and then buried his body. He had two witnesses watching and helping him. After thinking things through, Pee-wee realized that he needed to make sure the woman who set the hit up stayed quiet. He went to visit Suzanne Kipper to confirm they were on the same page. Once he saw her, he realized, well, she's actually quite attractive. So he said that he wanted to have her any time that he wanted, and then he wouldn't kill her. And Suzanne agreed. I mean, she didn't want to die. I mean, so yeah. It's messy, man. I know there's a lot of names in here, so hopefully this isn't getting too confusing. Diane Neely and her boyfriend, Avery Howard, decided to blackmail Pee-wee for $5,000 in hush money. Diane was the one who helped lure Yates outside to be murdered, and she told her boyfriend about the murder, and he got all sorts of pissed. Oh, I wonder why. Well, actually, not because... (laughs) It's not because she helped with the murder. He was upset that Pee-wee only gave her $300 to lure the man outside. He was like, yo, I know that that Yates guy was a rich man, and so he felt that they deserved more money. You've got to be fucking kidding me. No. He's not pissed about the murder. No. He's mad about the money. Yeah. He's like, oh, you should have got more, bitch. Come on. Wow, this just freaks me out. Like, yeah, just the world we live in. Ah. It's a tangled web here. So Diane went to Pee-wee and asked for $5,000, and he hugged her and said she was right. She probably should get more money. He told the couple to meet him near Prospect to get their money. How about not? Don't do that. Well, the next night, 
He went to a club to make sure that people saw him for his alibi. He eventually headed out to meet up with Diane and Avery, and he gave them some bourbon. He told the couple that he hid the money in a safe that was in a hollowed-out tree in the middle of a swamp, which, nope, nope, nope. No, 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 no. Yeah. The three of them were heading there, and Pee-wee shot Diane and Avery and then buried them in a grave together, which he buries a lot of couples and people together in the same grave, and I literally just think it's because he's so fucking lazy and doesn't want to do another one. Yeah, he either buries them together or seems to throw them in the water. Yeah. In the summer of 75, Pee-wee had moved on to wife number six. Holy... And she was 18 years old. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, no. He liked him young. They began meeting up with a group of people at the beach, and they would all take their kids with. 13-year-old Kim Gelkins was going to the beach with everyone, and Pee-wee liked her. They're just letting, like, kids go to the beach with somebody that's, like, way older than an 18-year-old? Apparently. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, he started touching her when he could and eventually exposed himself to her. And Kim got upset and stopped coming around unless there were, like, other adults there, too. Wouldn't even come around. Right. But she's young. Right. She's 13. Yeah. One day, he let Kim know that he was driving to Sumter to visit his daughter and he really wanted to take her with. Please, no. He whispered to her that he would keep his zipper zipped, so she agreed to go. Oh, no, the poor thing. It's not good. He raped Kim, burned and cut her, and then murdered this poor child. He wanted to bury Kim at the same place that he married Janice, but he couldn't because someone was now living in that house. Pee-wee got a little nervous after murdering Kim, so he decided to head back to Charleston. When he got there, he found out that the garage that he had that was full of all those stolen parts and cars was completely cleaned out. Oops. Two local guys, Johnny Knight and Dennis Bellamy, ended up robbing Pee-wee's repair shop and were both killed. He ended up calling Walter Neely for help again. He witnessed the murder, and the two of them buried the bodies. Now, I think this is actually super odd that all of a sudden he's calling an accomplice. Because he operated by himself for so long. Right. He even pointed out the graves of other locals and told Walter who he had buried in his cemetery. Wow. Yeah. That is really... Strange, right? Yeah. Unless he planned on killing the dude right after. Uh Uh-huh. At this point, the police were actually being pointed in the direction of Pee-wee in 13-year-old Kim Gelkin's disappearance. They ended up searching his mobile home and found her clothing. I'm sorry, the police are finally... Yeah, they're like, oh, maybe it is this guy. Wow, all right, we're finally Hmm. getting there. Okay. What's he doing? Wait, I'm going to be really, really irritated (laughs) if he's about to slip through the damn cracks again. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, police went to his pal, Walter Neely, and they pressed him for information. He didn't say anything, but he wasn't really sure where to turn. Pee-wee didn't necessarily know about all the commotion that was happening in his old town. 
he decided to head back to the town to meet up with his daughter. He parked a half mile away, walked through the woods, you know, like he always does, and a deputy was parked across the street from his daughter's place, and Pee-wee got the F out of there. Oh, shit, he saw him. Yeah. Damn. He made it to a phone and called his friend Walter. His voice was shaky, and Walter told him, there's a warrant out for your arrest. Pee-wee was soon arrested, and Walter got even more nervous. He began uh, feeling really guilty for being present during the murders of Dennis and Johnny, and he knew about Diane's murder. And he was now having dreams about this. He needed to talk to somebody, so he went and confessed to his preacher. The preacher convinced Walter to go to the police. When police learned of Diane's murder, they assumed Walter was in on this too because Diane Neely used to be married to Walter. Pee-wee Gaskins and Walter Neely were charged with eight counts of murder. Holy crap, he didn't slip to the damn cracks this time! Yeah, but it sucks because Walter is getting everything pinned on him, too. That does suck, but also, like, freaking finally, because he's, it's been so close so many times, and then he was just like, yeah, nah, I'm gonna go murder someone else now. It's all good. Uh Uh-huh. On May 24th, 1976, trial started, and on May 28th, Pee-wee was found guilty and was sentenced to death. Walter Neely was sentenced to life in prison. Pee-wee didn't want the electric chair. He figured he should start giving the police some tips about where they could find bodies so that he, he could cut a deal. longer or some shit. Uh-huh. I hate when they... I hate that. And he told them they would find Patricia's body buried in a septic tank. In November of 76, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional. If the story wasn't disgusting enough, the next part might seal the deal. (laughs) At least for me. There's more? He got so much fucking attention for everything that he'd done, and Pee-wee was convicted of two murders, and seven more were hanging over his head. And he was walking away from death row. This blew up on the news, and suddenly... Men were shaking his hand out in the yard and asking him to pose in pictures with their families when they had visitors. He was like a celebrity. This is one of the biggest fucking issues. Yeah. With, like, people glorifying a serial killer. Exactly. I mean, this this is insane. And, and he like, was eating this shit up. He loved it. The, like, I get so scared. When I find out that there's, like, a serial killer in jail right now and all these chicks are like, marry me! Oh, yeah. Like, what the hell is Mm -hmm. going through your mind that would ever make you think that's a good idea? I don't know. I just don't get it. But it does get gray area in some instances because, like, when you find out that the person that's locked up was wrongfully convicted... Yeah. Then I can't be like, okay, well, now I, you know, you shouldn't be talking to them still because it shouldn't have happened. Right. But that's a different story. I'm talking like an actual, if they yeah, actually Yeah, yeah. Someone know, you know for sure. Right. Like, you know that's the situation. Like, I, I can't believe that people encourage it. Yeah. 
It just blows my mind. I know. To each their own, man. Yeah. Even though Pee-wee refused to tell anyone where he hid the other bodies, they were starting to be discovered. After police located Patricia in the septic tank, they found Barnwell Yates, Kim Gelkins, and Martha Dix. Suddenly, he realized, oh shit, Walter's telling the police everything. The bodies were all in really different locations and wouldn't just be stumbled upon. And the police had only discovered the bodies that Pee-wee told Walter about. But by his own laziness, he made it hard or like easier and harder on himself, like easier for them because he's got like multiple bodies in one spot. So they're not looking for each individual one. Oh, yeah. He certainly does have a lot grouped together. Yes. In April of 77, trial was starting for the murder of Barnwell Yates. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. The death penalty was legalized again in South Carolina in 1978. Up until this point, the prosecutor hadn't gone after Pee-wee for the other seven murder charges. As soon as the death penalty was back in action, he was ready. They did tell that tell him that he could make a deal, and Pee-wee agreed to plead guilty for all seven murders, and they said they wouldn't give him the death penalty then. They gave him seven life sentences following the two life sentences that he already had. He would have to give full confessions with details of the murders and answer any questions that they had about the murders. Then, He had to go to the hospital and get a truth serum to be questioned again so they could verify that the information was truthful. Pee-wee agreed to this and was interrogated for three days. He spent time rehearsing stories and he knew how to get them embedded in his memory so that he could pass polygraphs. And, as it turns out, his method also works with truth serum. Holy shit. Yeah, but the prosecutor tricked Pee-wee into taking the deal to escape the death penalty. The murders were committed before the new capital punishment law had been passed, so he couldn't have gotten the death penalty for the murders. Oh! So, I mean, there's a little bit of a good thing. Yeah, and they needed his confessions to prove that he did the murders because They didn't have any evidence. Like, they had nothing on him. That was slick. Yes. Pee-wee was always good at maintenance work. Um, I mean, even as a kid, he was. So it made sense that he got a maintenance job in prison. He was no longer on death row himself, but he was allowed to go to that block with the guards so that he could fix things. He got to know the area, and he had one of the worst records of anybody in prison. In 1980, he was approached by somebody that they called Pop. He said there was a man on the outside with money, and he needed a man on death row shanked. A couple named Bill and Myrtle Moon had been murdered in their store by a man on death row named Rudolph Tyner. The couple's son, Tony Simo, didn't feel like just waiting around for this guy to get the electric chair, and he was worried that the sentence could be overturned. Tony wanted revenge and wanted somebody to murder Rudolph for him. 
Pee-wee decided to accept the challenge. He kicked things off with a bit of research. He got Rudolph's file and he learned about all of the things that he had done. He asked the kitchen trustees about the things Rudolph liked to eat and he asked the canteen trustees what kind of snacks he liked to order. Rudolph had a drug history in his file, so Pee-wee went to the yard and purchased three joints. He told a guard that there was a water drip and he needed to go fix a pipe that was in Rudolph's cell. He was brought to the cell and he tinkered around with the pipe and he told Rudolph that he needed to alert the guard if there was any more like leaking coming from the pipe. Pee-wee slid the three joints under Rudolph's mattress before he left the cell. He went back to Pop the next day and told him, yeah, I can get the job done, but he said that he wanted to deal with Tony Simo and no middleman. If this guy's ordering the hit, he felt that he should deal with him directly. Pee-wee recorded all conversations between himself and Tony for the next year. He figured he wouldn't get uh, caught for the murder and he'd eventually just escape from prison. And then he could blackmail Tony so he could get the money that he needed to move to another country. That is quite the mentality he has going there. Yep. Look at these plans unfolding. After he was safe, he planned to send the tapes to the prosecutor and the press to make sure that Tony and everybody else involved got in trouble. And he wanted to make sure that he got the credit for being the only one who could murder somebody on death row. Plans were in motion, and Pee-wee needed help from other inmates to get the job done. He had more joints sent to Rudolph through a kitchen trustee. He received a note from Rudolph that said, quote, Thank you, Pee-wee. Now get me some horse. Which, like, I don't really know what that means. Oh. <laughs> I'm okay. sure it's some kind of drug, but I, I don't know. If you know prison lingo, tell me what horse means. <laughs> I don't have my phone on me or I Google it. Uh, the next day, he went to the yard and got heroin to be sent on the dinner tray. So I guess oh, heroin? There you go, yeah. Okay, there we go. Because that, yeah. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. Then Pee-wee said he needed to check on the leaky pipes in the cell, and a guard brought him up there. He told the guard that he could go, like, get a pop for himself and Rudolph and, you know, just go away. Here's some money. The guard was like, yeah. Oh, all right. (laughs) So as soon as he left, Rudolph said he needed more drugs, and Pee-wee said, yeah, I can make that happen for you. So he calls Tony and says that he needs to send him powdered poison. He advised him to put the poison in a plastic baggie, put the baggie on the bottom layer of a box of candy, then rewrap the box. The poison soon arrived, and Pee-wee mixed the powder in some ketchup and then poured it over the uh, Vienna sausages. The tray was brought to Rudolph, and he ended up getting a stomachache and went to the infirmary. Did I say that right? Infirmary. Infirmary. (laughs) Infirmary. Yeah, I was like, there's something extra there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Pee-wee originally thought it was enough poison to like, have him be dead by morning. Uh, but that's not the case. Over the next few months, he attempted to kill Rudolph five separate times, and none of the poisons worked. Oh, it's like, <laughs> uh, um, 
Michael Malloy, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, the one that just never freaking dies. Yes. I wish I knew what episode that was, because if you are listening backwards, I would totally tell you, but you gotta listen to that episode if you haven't. (laughs) Don't listen backwards. That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Some people do. I don't know. Yeah. Um, You don't want to do that for ours, because you want to start with, like, the really terrible episodes at the so we beginning. Sound better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then, yeah. Do then that. you won't hate us because yeah. you'll be like, oh, they improved. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening backwards right now and just like stop and, and start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he put the poison in sausages, rolled it in reefer, mixed it in heroin, and put Whoa. it in iced tea. Wowza. Nothing worked. He called Tony again and told him, okay, stop sending powdered poison. He needed something that was guaranteed to kill anyone. The new poison arrived and it was liquid. Pee-wee went to the cell to fix the plumbing again and gave Rudolph the poison. He poured it in a cup and told him it was a new street drug that was like LSD. The next morning, Rudolph went to the... Infirmary. Infirmary. I don't know why it's not coming out right. Uh, But he didn't die. Oh my god, it is! Uh, Pee-wee called Tony and said he was done playing nice. No more poison. He wanted explosives. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. That's a big escalation. Here we go. Is everyone ready? He told Tony everything that he needed, and they split the delivery into three parts and mailed everything to three different inmates from three different locations. Wow. The electric screw connectors and plugs were sent in cigarette packages. The C4 was inside the hollowed-out heels of a pair of boots. When Pee-wee was ready, he went back to Rudolph's cell and said, they should set up a way to communicate with each other. He told them, or he told him that he could wire the cell and make a homemade telephone. He said he'd send him a plastic cup with a speaker in it and the time to test the phone would be written on the bottom of the cup. The plastic cup was sent to Rudolph the next day and he followed the directions. He hooked the cup to the wires that Pee-wee put in the cell at the specified time He announced he was there, and then he put the cup up to his ear. Pee-wee plugged the other end of the wire into the electrical outlet in the cell, and kaboom. The explosion rocked the whole block. Pee-wee says the last thing Rudolph heard through the speaker cup was the sound of him laughing before he blew his head off. Oh! Uh Uh Uh-huh. That is... No, that is... Oh, that is so gross. Yup. At the beginning, the media reported that Rudolph blew himself up. But there were snitches in prison, and it didn't take long for the real story to get out. Pee-wee was surprised that he got caught, but he figured he would just get another life sentence because they'd have to try him with the others that were involved, and they couldn't all get the death penalty. People like that are the most dangerous. Yes. Because they have nothing to lose anymore. They already, you know, he already has so many life sentences. It's like, what's another one? Yeah, he literally I'm doesn't give a here. shit. Yeah. So it's not even, that's, 
always so scary to me. Yeah. Things didn't work out like he planned, though. It was decided that Pee Wee would be tried separate from the rest of the group that was involved. Tony Simo, the guy that actually ordered the hit, got 25 years and would be eligible for parole after serving 30 months. I'm sorry. Here's why. Okay. So I guess people sympathized with him and understood that he wanted revenge since Rudolph had murdered his parents. I mean, yeah, but... I know. This is one of those situations where you got it two wrongs don't make a right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Pee-wee was sentenced to death. You can imagine that officials weren't thrilled about someone being able to, like, easily bring in all the things that they needed to murder an inmate that was on death row. And it was really embarrassing for them. Like, they looked fucking stupid. I, w- I was honestly thinking about that the whole time you were talking about it. Because you're just like, oh, it's just in a candy box. And now it's in the sole of a shoe. And it's just like, holy crap. Yeah, they was pissed. So the warden put Pee-wee in a dungeon. And he was isolated from everybody. They put him in a fucking dungeon. In a dungeon. The cell oh was small. God. And the door was barred. But three feet from the door was another door. And it was made of solid steel. Like, they were Whoa, fucking done with Whoa, it's like a him. legit dungeon. Yeah. Pee-wee couldn't see or hear anything anymore. And he was in there for almost four years. Holy. Yeah. His lawyers did keep trying to get him out of isolation. And in 1985, they had a court hearing scheduled to ask the warden to move him. Suddenly... The State Law Enforcement Division and the State Department of Corrections said they had reliable information that Pee-wee was plotting to kidnap and use the children of a state official to bargain for his release. If this is true, they had to keep him in isolation indefinitely. Now, I doubt this is true, because he wasn't allowed to talk to anybody for four years. Yeah, but they were also like, we're freaking done with him. Right. And I mean, how would they have such reliable information exactly. about this kidnap plotting? Pl- what? <laughs> this I don't think this is you. working today. Kidnapping plot. There you go. <laughs> you got there. Uh, either way, the kidnapping story was sent to the media. And then everybody supported the idea of having him stay in isolation. In 1986, the Maximum Security Unity Building was condemned and closed down. It was unsafe for human occupancy, and that's when Pee-wee was finally moved to death row block. Pee-wee didn't want the death penalty, so he started confessing to other murders. One of the confessions was for killing 30-year-old Peggy Catino, but William Pierce was already sentenced to life in prison for that murder, so they didn't believe him. He decided to fill this time by running an art scam. He traced cartoon characters from newspapers and then sold them to collectors of death row memorabilia. He also helped another inmate escape. Suzanne had received a life sentence for the Barnwell Yates murder, even though she wasn't there when it happened. She just paid Pee-wee to do it. She wrote a letter to Pee-wee and gave him the number to a payphone at the woman's center. 
They began talking, and she said she needed to escape, and she needed his advice, and probably some good running shoes. He gave Suzanne an escape plan and called in favors from the outside to make sure that she got everything she needed. Suzanne followed his directions, and she got out. So this talking over the prison phones about escaping? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. All righty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wilton Earl interviewed Pee Wee many times on death row between May 1990 and August 91, and he taped the conversations. The author allowed him to give his own version of his life without judgment and gave us a peek into a serial killer's mind. The interviews were used for the Final Truth book. Execution day was September 6, 1991. Pee-wee slashed his wrists just to prove that he could have taken his life if he wanted to. His arms were stitched up, he smiled and gave a thumbs up and said, quote, I'm ready to go. And oh, that's you're the ready. end. Yeah. I just, I already, I'm, nope. <laughs> no, I don't like that. See, because you don't get to be fucking ready. That's all I'm saying. I, yeah, I mean, he was a prick all the way to the very end. Well, it's just he doesn't get to be ready to go considering how much he tortured all his victims, so. I know. I just. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the story of nasty ass Pee Wee Gaskins. I'm really happy it's over. Me too. <laughs> like, I'm glad we're done with this one. I mean, first, because I can't say words, apparently. Right. Uh, I don't know what's happening over there right now. I don't now. know. I think my body was shutting down. There is, like, no functioning. Yeah. Uh, but this story, yikes. I mean, he got away with it for so long. And also, can we go back to him killing Rudolph and saying, like, Oh, yeah, the last thing he hears yeah. is me laughing as his head blew off. Thanks for bringing it back to that again. <laughs> I mean, what? I hate it. That's so beyond insane. I can't. I'm so disgusted by this whole entire story, to be honest. Yeah, everything he does just sucks. I'm actually surprised he didn't end up with, like, another wife in there, too, somehow. Dude, like at the end. When did he have room for more? I mean, seriously, he had so freaking many through that story. It was insane. I know. And it's so sad that, like, everybody fell for, you know, like, essentially getting brainwashed by him is basically how he got so many damn wives because, like, yeah. how else is he going to do it as a serial killer? Yeah, for real. He'd be like, hey, by the way, I'm a serial killer. Want to get married? Uh, pass. I feel like it doesn't work like that often. Actually, <laughs> um, no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just stay here with my cats. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, make sure to follow us on any of your podcast apps. Tell us any stories you want to hear. Uh, if you have listener stories, send them over to our email. Drinking the Kool Aid at yahoo.com and again you're not the first one sending stories anymore i have i have probably about well i've got enough to uh we are almost about to have enough to do an episode so yes seriously send them in because you're not the first no more <laughs> and it'll be quite a few lots of fun if we actually start getting more of yeah. them uh because then you get more episodes yep. yay who doesn't want more episodes yeah who doesn't want to listen to us more? 
Right? (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Uh, Make sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, Our website is drinkingthekoolaid.com. Give us a five-star review if you love us. Tell your friends. Tell your cats. Um, bye. Bye.